Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Good morning, Sunrise. How you doing again? All right, give God a hand clap for that. Thank you, Vinny and the team, for getting us ready and prepared. We're going to do something a little different today. We're starting a new series called Ask for a Friend. Uh, and what we're doing is, we, in the next four weeks, we're going to attempt to tackle some of the burning questions that people are asking uh, to the church. And I'm so excited about this. So what's interesting is we're going to be uh, labeling each um, message, if you will, based on the questions you send us. Okay, so let me lay some ground rules. We're not going to pass the mic uh, because we won't get out of here to about 2050. <laughs> Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to provide a way for you to ask your questions from where you're sitting. So if you have your phones, please take out your phones. <gasps> In church? When you have a yes, please take your phones out. Why? Because we want, when you have a question, as we begin to dialogue on the stage, me and Pastor Steve, um, we want you to text QUESTION to 909-281-7797. When you text the word QUESTION, uh, you're going to get a link back, and then there you can ask your question. And then we have someone gathering the questions, and then I'm going to get them on my iPad here, iPad, so I can give those questions to myself or Pastor Steve. Also, uh, throughout the week, if you feel you have more questions, please go to sunrisechurch.org, email us, and then you can put your questions there. So again, we want to give you these uh, ways to communicating with us, and I'm so excited about this series. Uh, are you excited about the series? I am. Very excited. With that being said, let's get started. So my first question is, why do you want to do, or why do you feel we should do a series dealing with asking for a friend? Well, people are talking about them outside of church. Why not just talk about them inside of church? Mm. Uh, I mean, the reality is that we, we, we all have these things that we kind of want to talk about, which is why we're, we're calling it asking for a friend, because, you know, very often it's like, I'm, I'm asking for a friend when we all know we're, we're asking for ourselves. We all do that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, what I, what I really want is for our people who are here and watching online to see that Christianity the Christian faith provides the most resources to navigate the most difficult questions in life. Uh, but the other part of that, too, is I hope that we can also model that when it comes to these really sensitive topics that have divided our culture, that we can show that it's possible to talk to each other and not yell at each other. Uh, you know, the, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 4, let your conversation always be gracious seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer everyone. And so I think that if all of us uh, can just get into a, a posture where we're able to actually talk with people who might not think like we do or believe like we do in a way that's gracious and kind, I think we've already moved the needle. Because uh, the reality is that here at Sunrise, we're a diverse church, not just ethnically and, and age-wise, but also in, in beliefs. And so we've got people all over the faith spectrum, right? So we have people who are both feet in, 
You have given your lives to Jesus. You've experienced a lot of painful things. There's no turning back. You're, you're in. And you and I as pastors have the privilege of knowing a lot of these stories. And then there's people who are both feet out. Uh, you don't believe. Maybe, maybe you're here because, you know, dad said, as long as you live under my roof, you're coming to church. Or, you know, the wife dragged, dragged him over to church. Uh, but the reality is that you're going to walk out of here and nothing's going to change the way that you live. You're, you're both feet are out. But then there's a really large section, and I, I think it's probably the largest one, which is one foot in and one foot out. That there are plenty of people within our church who have lots of spiritual questions and curiosities and spiritual desires, and at the same time, also love the world a lot. And there's a lot of things that they, they're struggling with that they don't want to part with, and so it's kind of one foot in, one foot out. And I think for that particular group, this message series is going to really speak to them. And I love how you said that, Pastor Steve, because it, it's truth. Um, we're all on this different spectrum when it comes to faith. And if we can just come together and begin to kind of flush all these things out, then we're able to have a stronger sense of who we are in Christ and, and what is God calling us to do by faith. And you kept saying the word faith. Um, could you expand on that some more? Well, yeah, that's really, uh, you know, so each, each of these weeks we have them sort of categorized. And uh, this, this week, we're talking about faith and, and Christianity. And it's really a good starting point for us because it lays the framework for all of the rest of the time that we're going to be having together, especially when we start to get into the really, really uh, sensitive topics like we'll, we'll talk about next week with gender and sexuality. So faith is, this is really the foundational one to, to get us kick-started. Amen. So I'm ready to get started. Are you ready to get started? Now, through these four weeks, we're asking for grace and love and compassion because that's who Jesus was and is. So should we start with the first question? Let's do it. Okay. This is the first question. And remember, you guys have to either text questions because so I'm going to get them here. Okay. So the first one to kind of start this series is this. Can anyone prove that God is real? Okay, but the person goes in a little bit deeper with this question. All the religions of the world claim to be true, but you can't actually prove any of them. That's why I believe science, because it is something that can be proved. What would you say to that? Yeah, well, I saw this question earlier in the week, and I've had some time to prepare a response, and so I'd like to give that a shot. And so if I may, I'll, I'll do that, and then we'll come back, sit back down, and talk. Cool with you? Absolutely. All right. So the question is, can anyone prove that God is real? My answer may surprise you. The answer is no. No one can definitively, beyond a shadow of a doubt, prove that God is real. Now, there's plenty of proofs out there, but no one can prove that God is real. But this is so important. Lean into this. No one can prove that God is real and no one can disprove that God is real either. Let me explain. So uh, one of the most famous highways in the country is Route 66. Now, here in Southern California, we can get there pretty quickly. Uh, but Route 66, it's known as the Mother Road. It's been featured in music and literature and films. You know, famous highway, right? So if you hop in your car in Chicago, Illinois, and drive... 2,290 miles, uh, you will get to the end of Route 66, which is right here. Some of you have been there. The Santa Monica Pier is where Route 66 ends. Now, 
You could keep driving, but in about 30 seconds, you'll plunge into the Pacific Ocean. This is the end of the road, okay? And this is an illustration of every religion, every system of faith, that it's going to get you pointed towards God or gods or divinity, but at some point it ends, and the thing that bridges the gap from the end of it to the final belief is faith. This is what it says in the Christian Bible in Hebrews 11.6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Pay attention to that. Because what the message of the Scripture says is that you can believe that there is a God. You can engage in religious activities, such as coming to church. You can go out to your neighborhood and do lots of good things in the name of God. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Consider the faith that Christianity requires. First, you have to have faith that there is an uncreated God who created all of the universe, all of life, all of matter. Then we have to have faith that this uncreated God also created uh, humans with a free will and that these humans disobeyed God and are responsible for all the mess that we have in the world. And then by faith that the, the human's disobedience, which we call sin, is then transferred to the rest of us, handed down through generations, and now we share in that responsibility. And then by faith, I have to believe that God's solution for sin was to send his son, Jesus, to the world to live a perfect life so that he could be a sacrifice to pay for the sins so that the rest of the world doesn't have to. And then by faith, we have to believe that Jesus' death on the cross was everything that we needed. And then by faith, Jesus rose back to life three days later. And then by faith, that those who believe will also raise back to life and one day spend eternity with him. It's a lot of faith. That's why without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, this particular faith system also happens to be the most widely practiced faith system in the world. In fact, in the U.S., uh, there's a study done just at the end of 2021 by the Pew Research Center that said that 65% uh, of Americans identify themselves as Christian. Now, here's what's interesting about that statistic. That number has dipped by 10% over the last decade. And there's another group where their number has risen by 10% over that same time period. And that particular group are called nuns. Now, not this kind of nun. That's, that's, that's not the religious group that we're talking about. We're talking about N-O-N-E-S, nuns, as in, do you have a religious affiliation? The answer is, I have none. So now, three out of every 10 adults in America would consider themselves a nun, uh, which was certainly reflected in that question that Pastor Anthony read, and they said, all the religions of the world claim to be true, but you can't actually prove any of them. That's why I believe in science, because it's something that can be proved. And so this is often how this is categorized. There's faith and there's science, okay? So all of you people, you, you are the people of faith, but I have science. You know, science doesn't depend on emotions or ancient manuscripts. You, you test things, and, and that's how you prove what is true. And so many people who say, I believe in science, believe that you can get to the end of every single question that you have. But is that really true? Because if you peel back the layers, we have one very uncomfortable question that looms. 
Where did the universe come from? Where did it all start? Uh, because even science doesn't have a test for that. All we have is the, the first law of thermodynamics, which says matter cannot be created. Yet, here we are. So, so how do we get here? Well, maybe the universe just existed all the time. Okay, what test is there for that? You know, um, there was once nothing, and then there was an accident, and there was something. Okay, fine. What test is there for that? Okay, well, I don't know where the universe came from. I just know it didn't come from God. That, my friend, is what you call faith. You see, even science ends at the end of the pier at some point, and faith is required to get to the end of that belief. You see, it, I want to give you a statement, and if you get nothing else out of this morning, let it be this. Every person is a person of faith. If someone asks you, hey, what did you talk about in church today? Tell them this. Every person is a person of faith. Even if I say I trade all of my beliefs in God for something else, we're simply taking on a new set of beliefs. It still requires faith. Every person is a person of faith. We all have faith in something, so the question is, what is that? And so I think that every single one of us needs to wrestle through two very, very important questions. And here's the first one. What is the center of my faith? Not do I have faith, but what is the object of my faith? What is the center of my faith? And, and in my experience, I, I think that most of us are probably going to answer this question one of three ways. Number one, the center of my faith is self. It's me. That when it comes to the biggest questions in life, where did I come from? What is my purpose? What happens after I die? Many of us would say, you know, I, I might not know the answers, but I think I could eventually figure it out. In essence, what I'm saying is I'm betting on me. Even for people who practice merit-based faith systems, you know what I mean? Like when, when there's a list of behaviors, a, a to-do list, and, as, and, and the more you can keep this list, the, the greater your eternity will be. Now, Buddhism, Islam, Mormonism, Roman Catholicism are examples of merit-based faith. But even in these situations, your faith is not in a church. It's not in a religious system. It's not even in God. Faith is still in you, specifically your ability to follow all the rules. It's still a matter of self. In many ways, science is a belief if centered on a faith of self because it says, if I just try long enough, test long enough, discover long enough, I'll get to the, every answer I have myself. And so the, so the first question we ought to ask ourselves is, what is the center of my faith? And many of us are going to say it's self. Here's another possibility. It's someone else. A lot of us believe that the center of our faith is, is another person. Maybe it's a family member. Or better yet, a romantic interest. Many of us believe the purpose of life is to just find someone to love and enjoy this life as much as possible. Well, the problem is, is that when your purpose becomes centered on someone else, now you're dependent on another person reciprocating those feelings. What if that never happens? Those of you who are single, does that mean you're purposeless? Or, or worse yet, let's say you find that perfect person that you think you're going to spend the rest of your life with and the relationship falls apart, or the inevitable happens, they die. Does your purpose then die with them? See, when we put our purpose in another person, at some point in time, they're not gonna be able to pull through. 
And so I'd like to suggest a third option, not self, not someone else, but a savior, someone outside of me, someone outside of another person. You see, every religion points you to a path. The Christian faith points you to a person, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus claimed to have created the whole world, which answers the question, where did it all come from? And Jesus lived a, a, a perfect life and, and laid his life down on the cross for the sins of the world. And so that when you receive Jesus into your life by faith, you now have a purpose. I can, I can now love others just like the love I received in Christ. So that answers the question of what is my purpose? And then Jesus said that I'm going to, a, to prepare a place for my followers, for all who believe. So that answers the question of what happens when I die. I would suggest that Christianity offers the best object of faith, the person of Jesus Christ. And so, so the question we ought to ask ourselves is what is the center of my faith? Here's the second question. What is the certainty of my faith? Hey, how sure am I? Am I like 50-50, you know, 60-40? Hey, how certain are you in whatever is the center of your faith? in yourself, in another person. You know, there, there's an interesting part of that, of that verse that I read to you earlier in Hebrews chapter 11. I read you just the first part of it, but I want to read you the rest of it. This is what it says in Hebrews 11:6. It says that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Isn't that interesting? The promise spoken by the Christian Bible is that if you genuinely go looking for God, he will reward you with the answer. And so if you are someone who is not certain about your faith, here's my challenge to you, to just pray this bold prayer. Jesus, if you are real, would you show yourself to me? Put the Bible to test. See if it's real. See if God is real. I can guarantee you one thing. If you don't go looking for God, you won't find him. That much I know. But according to the Bible, that those who genuinely go looking, God says that he will reward them. You know, as I was, as I was thinking about this, um, a man from this church came to mind. This guy who's been attending Sunrise for many years, and he was once a part of a different faith system. But some things occurred in his life that caused him to have to ask himself the question, is this the right center of my faith? Hey, hey, how certain am I? And he kept searching. And I wanted you to hear his story from him. So let's take a look at this video. My name is Lad, and I was a Mormon. I had searched through all my teen years for a, for a faith. And so I joined the, uh, the Mormon church. Almost 30 years ago now, a member of my family was involved in a traffic accident that resulted in a DUI. It happened out of the blue. The local leadership of the church called me in uh, and told me 
that they had made the decision that I should be staying at home, taking care of my family, and not serving in the church, and released me from all of my callings. And at that moment, I felt, I felt empty, I felt deserted, uh, I felt angry, and I simply walked away from the faith. I was, I was just a soul adrift. We never gave much of a thought about Christ was missing in our lives. And then a brother of mine passed away, a younger brother, and we went to his funeral service and we stayed with a first cousin who went to church on Sundays. So we went to church with him on Sunday. And I couldn't tell you if my life depended on it, what that pastor said that Sunday, but we were individually convicted that we needed to get into a church uh, and build a relationship with Jesus. The big moment for me was my baptism. I felt loved, I felt redeemed, I just felt joy. And that's really never left. And we love serving, so we do a lot of that. I currently serve uh, as a greeter, as an usher, as a group facilitator, as a volunteer at the food bank, and as a prayer partner. I've been standing at the front door uh, greeting people for 10 years now, and I've been serving long enough at the food bank now that I know the people that are coming. Uh, they know me. It's a joyful thing. I, I really enjoy uh, the places that I serve here at, uh, at Sunrise. Looking back on it, the relationship with Christ felt real uh, with the Mormons, but once you step back and take a look at it and have experienced Christianity for as long as I have now, the personal relationship was where the big difference was. Mormons are works. You're work-based. You have to accomplish certain things uh, to be a respected, active member of the Mormon church. Christianity is more freedom and love. The freedom uh, and the uh, direction that, that you get as a Christian is entirely different uh, than it is as a Mormon. My faith used to be in works, and now my faith is in my Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is my Redeemer. He's my friend. He's my guidance and direction. And uh, I am so grateful to have him in my life. What an amazing um, story by Brother Ladd. I've been knowing Ladd for a while now. And I love the passage you said, Steve. Without faith, it's impossible to believe God. And what's interesting to me is we can talk about it, and, and, but he requires us to do something. And that's where our testimonies come from. So again, as we go through um, today and the rest of this series, please get your phones out and text question at 909-281-7797 because again, I'm getting the questions um, up here. Here's a question that came from Instagram because you were talking about the Bible and scripture. Uh, the second question is, 
Why do Christians base their faith on a book written by people? Why didn't God just write it himself? himself? Yeah. Don't you love a good two-part question? Get two, two for the price of one. Uh, why do Christians base their faith on a Bible written by people? Well, here, here's the first thing that's, I think, really critical for us to understand is that Christianity is not based on a book. It's based on an event. And that event was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So listen, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the, the Old Testament, the Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament was available to the privileged few, you know, rabbis, religious leaders, etc. And the Old Testament is mostly a historical account of, of God and, and working through his people. It also talks about the sacrificial system of how people dealt with sins, as well as prophecies of pointing, pointing forward. Um, but the Old Testament is not the basis of Christianity. The Old Testament is the basis of Judaism. Anybody here who knows a good, God-fearing Jewish person would hear them say that, no, the Old Testament is the basis of our, our faith. But, and, and this was the, the, the prevalent system for thousands of years. Jews followed the Jewish law. They, they um, worshiped on the Sabbath, on Saturday, and, and, and things like that. And then all of a sudden, one day, everything changed. Suddenly, people started worshiping on a Sunday, the day that Jesus rose back from the grave, despite thousands of years of it being Saturday. Uh, they couldn't stop talking about Jesus. They're meeting in homes and in courtyards and at the temples talking about Jesus. In fact, they even tried to stop people from talking about Jesus, and, and they still talked about him, even though their lives were threatened and in many cases killed. What happened? What happened was that people were convinced they saw the resurrected Jesus, a minimum of 500 people, probably more like 1,000, said, we were eyewitnesses. We saw it, and we're willing to die for it. And suddenly, this group of, of scared, scattered, and skeptical disciples uh, took this message all over the world. Christianity should have been a little cult that stayed within the four walls of Jerusalem and died when Jesus died, but instead, it went around the globe. It's still spreading today and is the most practiced faith system in the world. How did that happen? People were convinced we saw the resurrected Jesus. And what's interesting is that the rest of the New Testament didn't even come about to like over 300 years after the resurrection. So it's not like, you know, a lot of faiths, it's we received some kind of revelation from God, so come follow it. But no, Christianity isn't based on a book. It's based on a person and on an event, the resurrection of Jesus. And the New Testament testifies to that person in Jesus. And so the question said, well, why didn't God just write it? You know, uh, so, so let me ask a, answer a question with a question. If God claimed to write the Bible, would you believe it? <laughs> you know, so, so this is actually what many faiths teach, okay? So Hinduism, for example, uh, teaches that the Hindu Vedas were spoken by the creator God, Brahman, and people recorded them, uh, written, wrote, wrote, wrote them down. Same thing with Islam, that uh, Allah gave revelations to Muhammad over the course of 23 years. He recorded them. That's what we have as the Quran. Uh, but Christianity is very different. It, it wasn't God himself writing it. He didn't have the pen in the hand, but it says that he inspired people to write it. So it's not like the Bible authors are sitting around like, oh, I got writer's block today. What should I write in, in this chapter of the Bible? It says God breathed the words into them, and he, he used 40 different authors in three different languages, 
over the course of 1,500 years, and yet the pieces all fit together. No other religious system claims anything close to that. And yet many religions say, well, the Bible's corrupt. It's, it's got all these problems. But let's look at it this way. Let's look at it like a family reunion. So when was the last time the, the Riley clan had a family reunion? Last November. So last November. Okay, so the, the whole family comes together. And let's just say that it was a time to talk about your family history. And so one person stands up. They say, okay, I'm going to tell everybody about the long history of the Rileys, and they share stories and that kind of thing. It's interesting, right? So that's one scenario. Here's another scenario. Let's say that you have 40 different family members who tell the story of the Rileys, and they're telling it from different pieces and perspectives, but that it all comes together and gives you a picture. And some of these family members were farmers, some were CEOs, some were musicians, some were teachers, and so they're saying it in a different way, but they're giving you all of these different pieces of the same story and that it blends together in harmony. Now, in those two scenarios, which one has the greatest likelihood of error? The one person who has the story who tells it to everybody or 40 different people with 40 different pieces of the story? And that's what I think is fascinating that, yeah, it wasn't just one person. And so the, the Bible is written by all kinds of different people, from kings to warriors to musicians to doctors. In fact, the two most influential writers of the New Testament were a fisherman and a lawyer, Peter and Paul, respectively. And I believe that the reason why God used so many different authors is so that everybody in the world could relate on some level. And what's, what's, what's so interesting is that here as we sit in 2022... The Bible is still the number one best-selling book of all time. That ought to cause us to ask some questions. Uh, is this really human in origin, or is it divine? And if so, I ought to at least crack it open and look at it. You know, we were talking uh, last, last hour about how God says God's a rewarder of those who seek after him. He didn't leave us with no resources. Here's a great place to start. You want to find out about God? Just open it up. Take a look. And I think how you answered that was very interesting because, as you said in Hebrews, it said, you know, without faith it's impossible to please God. Mm -hmm. And he's a rewarder for those who seek him or diligently seek him. It means you have to have this type of tenacity to say, I'm not cool where I am. Mm -hmm. And I need to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And the only way that's possible was really get into that quiet time and really breaking out the word of God and asking him truly to search thy heart, as David says. And it's through the searching where Lad was able to realize that, wait a minute, there's something not right with Mormonism. Mm. And as you begin to unpack those things, God does some great and exciting things. Um, Amen. Again, we want you part of this discussion. We want you to um, text a question. So. Here's a question okay. uh, from this morning. How can I incorporate God into the lives of my children? How can I incorporate God into the lives of my children? Okay, so this, this, this was just asked. Um, well, I, I, you know, what's interesting is in the Old Testament, in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, there's this prayer. It's called the Shema. And... Um, and, and most Jews would have this whole entire thing memorized. And I want to read just a, a section of it for you, and I want to point something out to you. This is Deuteronomy um, 
chapter 6. And uh, it says, Hear, O Israel, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And what's interesting is when you look at the first part of this, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be upon your hearts. That's the starting point. It's got to first begin with me. If I'm, if I'm not fully in, how could I possibly expect to transfer this to my children? You know, it's kind of like, you know, being on my phone and scrolling it and telling my kids, would you put down your screens, you know? I mean, it's not going to transfer, right? And so it's got to start first with us. But then he gives us a couple of examples. Um, he says, talk about them when you sit at home. Uh, hey, we all sit at home. I can relate with that. He says, uh, when you walk along the road, well, we don't always walk along the road, but hey, we live in Southern California. We do a lot of driving along the road. How many of you are sitting in traffic and driving kids to school or with grandkids? Is everybody just on their own device with headphones? Is the radio on? Those are perfect opportunities. We're stuck together. We're in a, an enclosed box. We can't go anywhere. That's a great time to talk about the Lord. Uh, a couple of things, when you lie down, you know, when we're starting to go to bed at night and our minds are starting to slow down and calm down, what a great time to talk to kids about, about God. And, and when you wake up, when, when you first wake up, hey, man, this is the day the Lord has made. We, you, you got this. Let me, let, me, let me encourage you with some scripture. It's got to start with you and me, Pastor Anthony. And, and then we are able to, to do it. But I, I think we got to just take advantage of, of the opportunities that we have. Sometimes we feel like we have to create all these extra things. We already got them. And I think I would add to that, amen. When it says, how can I incorporate God into the lives of my children? As you said, it begins with you as a parent. But also, we can also do some things to kind of uh, arouse their, you know, get their attention. For example, when you're studying, how about studying in a common area? Maybe like at the kitchen table, that's what I do. Mm. So when my kids come out and they come in the living room or in the kitchen, they see daddy there mm. sitting reading praying doing what he does with his god mm. so i think it's some things that we can do in action so mm -hmm. as you read in deuteronomy 6 when he says put it there on the doorpost and put it on your eyelids and all of those things so how can you position yourself to be an example to your children and their friends you want to put yourself in common areas. That's kind of what the writer is saying. So I think it's making sure that you're grounded and you're seasoning God's word, but most importantly, you're actually living it out so that they can see you live it out. And that, I believe, that incorporates God into their lives as Amen. well. Amen. Well said. Yeah. yeah. This one just came in. This is a good one. What do I say to someone who knows God but has been hurt by life's events and has lost hope or belief? Well, I would start with the first part of that question that says, what do I say? We, we always feel like we need to say something, don't we? Um, you know, I once heard a pastor years ago who was diagnosed with ALS. He said, when somebody is in a tragic situation, you show up and you shut up. 
<laughs> Sometimes just being there is really what you need to do. And I think it's important for us to understand that there are seasons of pain and seasons of perspective. And it's really important you know what season you're in. So when somebody is in the rawness of, of being hurt by life, when, when it's just like right there in front of them, that's probably not the best time to come along and offer some, you know, pithy response, you know. And, and I think there's a lot of people in the church who've probably been hurt by that. I remember talking to a, to a, um, a young woman who lost a child and somebody said, well, God must have needed another angel. Okay, that, that's not even in the Bible. It's not like people turn into angels. I, I don't even know what that means. What, I mean, what an insensitive thing to say to somebody. But we feel like I got to say something. No, you don't. No, you don't. If you look at the book of Job, his friends came by and they said a whole lot and it made it worse. Um, and so I think a, a big part of that is understanding if you're in a season of pain, just go be with the person. Go sit with them. Go cry with them. You go pray for them. But then there's going to come a point in time where you can enter into a season of perspective where it's not right in front of you. And that's where it's, uh, there, there could be a lot of really good opportunities to, to, to point people towards, towards hope. Hey, listen, um, there's all these situations with Jesus. Like one of the best ones is, is in, uh, in John chapter 11, I think it is, with Lazarus who, who dies and he goes into the grave. And uh, they blame Jesus. You know, if you could have just been here, um, this, this, this would have been prevented. And I never forget what Jesus says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I can bring people back to life, which he's done before, but he said, I am. And that there's hope in the fact that Jesus is not just life, but he's resurrection also. And resurrection is not just bringing us back from the dead. That is a part of it, but it's also reviving our hearts. And there's, there's plenty of ways we can encourage people, but I think it's very, very important that you know which season you're in. And when somebody's in the rawness of it, that's not the best time to talk. But when, when, but when the time comes, tragedy opens a door for the gospel, and that is a very good opportunity to, to take advantage of. That's interesting because it's funny how, <clears throat> excuse me, the people incorporate certain sayings or statements and they say things like, that's biblical. And it's so far off key <laughs> that you have to make sure you know the word of God for yourself. Yeah. So cliches I hear is, Lord was just tired so he wanted to pluck arose from his rose garden when someone passed away. Oh, First of all, now God is plucking people for roses and show me in, in the Bible where you find that. And I love what you said, what do I say? We call that the ministry of presence. Yeah. You say nothing, you sit there, you come alongside that individual and allow them to say or say nothing. And when they begin to ask questions, what you should be doing is praying. Lord, what would you have me to say in this scenario? Mm -hmm. If so, what do or what would you have me to say? Yeah. And maybe that's nothing. And that's where we say uh, the ministry of presence comes from. You just there and being available for that person. Yeah, you know, one of the hardest seasons that my wife and I went through, uh, we lost my sister to cancer, and then a couple of months later, we lost her mom to cancer. And we just felt like tragedy upon tragedy. And I'll never forget, we were in North Carolina um, for Kate's mom's... Uh, home going, and we had a friend who drove up from Ohio, or drove down from Ohio to North Carolina through the night just to be there for the funeral and got back in his car and drove. I don't remember anything he said to me, but I remember that he was there. 
And that had such a huge impact on me that somebody would care about me that much that they just wanted to be here with me. And I think that goes a long way. And that's where faith comes in. Mm -hmm. In faith, we must believe that God has put us in this place at this season talking to this person. So while I'm diligently listening, mm. he's going to give me what I need to help that person through. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited about this series. I don't know if you guys are excited about this series. Again, write this number down, 909-281-7797. Throughout the week, if you have any questions, Go to sunrisechurch.org and you can email us. We'll be checking throughout, again, the week. We will be getting back to those who are asking questions, but we can't answer every question today based on time. But I want to ask this one question. We have a couple of minutes. I want you to speak on it, and then I will kind of uh, dovetail you. It says, how do we build a relationship with Jesus if we can't see him? Yeah, that's, again, this is going back to faith. I have to have faith in someone that I cannot see. Um, but building a relationship starts first with believing that Jesus is somebody who loves me, that he died for me, and that he's still alive, that he's not in the grave. I'm not, I'm not worshiping an ancestor. I'm not worshiping a memory, but that he rose back to life. And so it starts first with the belief, but, but building a relationship comes in a variety of ways. Uh, how do you build a relationship with another person? You spend time with them. Uh, and so the, one of the things that's interesting is so many of us, we want to feel God's presence, but we don't spend any time with him. Now, what that means to spend time with him is this is a great, this is a great starting point, um, that this book talks all about the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is, is the, the Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament points back to Jesus. And so if we want to get to know who Jesus is and what he's about, this is a great place to start. Um, and so we gotta spend time getting to know him. That's how you build a relationship. And then I think a, another huge piece of it is that what, what is your prayer life like? Another way you build a relationship with somebody is communication. And you know, I can't, I can't have a good relationship with my wife if we never talk to each other. Uh, and so uh, prayer is, is a time in which you slow down and you not just come to God with your lists, but often there's, it's just sitting in quiet. Maybe sometimes that God speak to me, lead me, uh, show me what you want for me through, through your word or uh, maybe impress upon me, open doors, help me to understand what you want for my life. But it's also praising him for, what he, for who he is. Thank you for dying for someone like me. I know me and you, would, you love me. You love this. You're willing to die for this. Uh, praising him. God, thank you for the, this job. Thank you for this relationship. Thank you for this child. Thank you for this promotion, whatever the case is. And then it's also requests, it's praying for other people. That's all a part of it. And so that's what it means to build a relationship. I mean, I mean you, can't, you can't just sit there and expect it all to come to you. No relationship works that way. Uh, if you sit back and you, you want other people to initiate everything, you're gonna be a lonely person. It takes some effort. And th those are a couple of ways you can do that. What would you say? I think I wanna add, let's give Pastor Steve a hand clap. This is a question many people are asking. How do we build a relationship? And I like what you said, Steve. It's a two-way conversation. 
between you and someone, right? We believe in Jesus Christ. So as you get to want to know someone and you want to date them or should I go to the next level with this person or that person, yes, they're taking you out to dinner, but you're not there for the dinner. You can have your own dinner at home. You're getting to know this person, you're trying to figure out if he or she is the right fit. So they're basically, you're basically communicating, is this person the right fit for me? Uh, can I see myself going into this, what we call all in at Sunrise Church? So when you wanna build your relationship with Jesus, that's where the writer says in Hebrews, it first requires faith. Mm -hmm. At the, you, you have to believe in something. You sat in that chair, not knowing if it was gonna hold you or not. By faith, you believed it was going to hold you, and it proved to be true. So by faith, you must seek him, but also you must diligently do it. So how do you get closer with Jesus? It's taking the time out. How are you doing in that? That's kind of what, what Steve was talking about. He gave you an examples of how you can strengthen your faith and your relationship or build on your faith in Christ. So in the morning, what are you doing? Are you grabbing your phone right away? Are you looking at TikTok right away? Instagram? Checking your work email? Or, as David says, search my heart, O Lord, and know that if there's anything foul in me, bring it and send me to everlasting. Every time I wake up, I get on my knees and say, okay, Lord, forgive me for what I've done yesterday. May I not make the same mistakes today. Let me be an example to the world. Is that you? I'd be naive to think that on this, on either social media or on uh, online church right now and in this room, somebody in here does not have a relationship with Jesus. That's the reality. Someone in this room has taken the back seat to their faith. Is that you? Can you truly say you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you can't, I want to help you build that relationship with him. Or maybe you once had a relationship with him and life has kind of banged you up. You know, you scraped your knees and you just you just walked away. You didn't physically walk out of the building, but in your heart, you walked away from him. If that's where you find yourself in this room or online, I would love for you to do this prayer with me. If we can all close our eyes and bow our heads, you're only lying to yourself. If it's going to get right, if it's going to get corrected, it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing else will do. Not your friend, not your mother, not me. Jesus. If that's you, I would love for you to pray this prayer with me, but do it in the silence of your heart. Here at Sunrise Church, we call it the ABCs of coming to Christ. It's just that simple. A means you admit that you're broken. You admit that you don't have the answers. You admit that you need a Savior. 
But then B stands for you must believe that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, just for you. And he sits at the right hand of God interceding for you. But finally, this is where you must dig in. You must commit to changing your life. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I'm broken. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I believe that you sent your only begotten son just for me. And I believe in my heart by faith. And today I am committing my life to you. Come into my heart, Jesus. I thank you. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.